When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Uh, I'm pleased to say uh, my next guest uh, is extraordinary in every sense. Uh, she is uh, a swimmer uh, of some repute. She's uh, represented uh, at national level, at uh, Pan Pacific level, Commonwealth Games uh, and right uh, to the Olympics as well. But uh, her story is even more remarkable when you consider some of the challenges uh, she's had to overcome along the way. So it's with great pleasure I say welcome and thank you uh, for your time, Blair Evans. Thank you for having me. Have you been for a swim today? No. Oh, actually, the run-in was <laughs> much like a swim. <laughs> Just about. <laughs> uh, is, uh, is there ever a day in the week where you, where you don't feel like you should be in the pool? Uh, Sundays. So I get Sunday off. You do take a day off? Um, So that's my day where I don't even want to shower. I know that's gross, but um, that's one day that I just don't want to touch water. I wonder how many hours you've actually spent underwater. Oh, I wouldn't even, I didn't, I wouldn't even know where to start calculating that because I've been swimming since I was, you know, basically from birth, but Mm. kind of in a squad sense since I was six years old, so... Uh, an incredible part of your story, of course, is uh, when you were told uh, at the age of 11 that you might not ever uh, run or swim again. We'll get to that uh, in a moment, but uh, let's just go through some of your uh, your great achievements. Uh, as I mentioned, you've pretty much uh, represented it at every level that you possibly can uh, as an elite swimmer, but what, is there a standout moment for you uh, that is, you know, for you, your defining moment, your proudest moment? Defining moment. I think there's been a couple. I don't really have or base my career off one moment in time. Obviously, the Olympics is the pinnacle of yep. my sport and everyone wants to get there. So I can't really put a dampener on that experience for me. Yep. Um London was incredible. Uh ups and downs, always yep. ups and downs. But I think my most incredible moment is very simple. It was my comeback uh, mm. in 2016, uh, my 400 IM at Nationals to qualify yep. for the 2016 Games was a moment for me that just everything that I'd been through, everything that my family, my support team had been through finally paid off mm. uh, in, a, in a huge way. Yep. Uh, we had a lot of... Uh, self-doubt in myself and people were actually telling me that I, I wasn't going to get back. I was a 0.5% of getting to the Olympic Games mm. a second time, both as a second time and then with an injury that I did have and, and all the surgery. Uh, so that was kind of a moment that yeah. I pinpoint in my career where it was the, I, I did it mm. and uh, this was for everyone. Stuff you. Yeah. I proved you wrong. Yeah. Because you had quite a debilitating shoulder injury, didn't you? You had yeah. uh, bulging discs in your neck. Yep. Uh, you required surgery. It's a, a long road back from there, I imagine. 
Yeah, and it wasn't just kind of one episode where I was told that I had the bulging discs. It was I'm up to three bulging discs in my neck now. So, um, you know, in a couple of years, right. I, <laughs> I don't think I'll be able to turn my head. But uh, we're still here and we're still kicking. So yeah. that's I've just had one recently, not as bad as what I had in 2016. Yeah. Um, but you know, every time I go back in and get a scan, there's something mm. new or there's something that I have to work with, and I've learnt. Uh, through my career to deal with those sorts of disappointments and setbacks. And um, I think it's made me who I am as an athlete and as a person now really strong. You'd have to be one of the oldest members of the Australian <laughs> team, <laughs> making me feel very old because I've got you well and truly covered. How old are you? I'm you're, 27. You're 27, but yeah. you would be a veteran in the team. Yeah, yeah? definitely. And, and um, others would have probably called it a day yeah. uh, given your age and also some of the injuries that you've had, the chronic Injuries that you yeah. just described. Yeah. What is it that gets you back in the pool and wanting to, you know, get yourself back up to the very top level? Um, I think after 2012, I had this huge uh, attitude shift where I hated the sport. I yeah. didn't want to be in the pool anymore. I wasn't, and this is at the most successful point of my life 2012 Olympics. I'd done it all. I'd come home with a silver medal. And I actually turned around from that and said, I actually don't not like where I am. I don't yep. like the sport. I don't like who I am as a person when I'm swimming. Yep. And so I made the choice to move to the Gold Coast um, yeah. and just change up everything that I knew about myself, my swimming career, and the way I was conducting myself in and out of the pool. And that's basically where all the what turmoil... Do you, what do you mean by that, conducting yourself out of the pool? Um, I was a nasty person. I yeah. think uh, as a, I'm an alpha female. Everyone describes me as an alpha female and I'm brutal. And... I'll take that as a warning. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I say it, I tell it how, how it is. Do you do you feel like you have to be though uh, in a sport like that? Definitely, you know, where you you kind yeah. of have to you know compete against yourself as much as anything, don't you? Then on the other hand, when I'm in a team situation and a, I, I love who yeah. I swim with, I love who I train with, and I'm not specifically nasty to anyone yeah. about personal issues. It's about more how they train. So if mm. they're slacking off one day, I'll give them just one look, and they know. Not to, yeah. that's it, you get back on track. Well, can I ask you this? And you've had success uh, both in your uh, individual medley events as well as in relay teams. Yeah. What brings you more joy? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, obviously, individual success is what everyone is looking for in life. Um, mm. But it's definitely, I find the relays more fun. Yep. Um, there's three other girls behind you that are doing their best as well to come together and create something magical. And I think Australia has a really great history of relay teams and creating yep. exceptional results and world records and Australian records and Commonwealth records. And uh, I think it's held in high regard to be in an Australian relay team. And I really cherish the experience back from 2000 and. 10 to 2012 was a period mm. that I really enjoyed being part of a relay as well as doing individual. Yeah. And the rest of your team, are they individually alphas as well? Uh, and do you all have to kind of just, just tone it down <laughs> a little bit? Because you're competing against each other, aren't you, individually? Yeah, and then yeah. all of a sudden your your teammates, it must be a strange dynamic. Do you find Do you have to kind of mentally switch gears to go from one to the other? I think we feed off each other in that situation. I don't yeah. think anyone thinks they're better than anyone in a relay team, mm. um, obviously when you get to the individual, you have to believe that you're better than yeah. the girl next to you. But I think as a relay team, four alpha females together is very, very powerful. <laughs> um, uh, there's there's always power struggles, yeah. but um, it's, it's an interesting dynamic to be a part of, but one yeah. that I really, really enjoy. Okay. Um, Commonwealth Games uh, just, just gone. Um, you obviously competed there. 
Yeah. Um, but there's still something left for you to achieve because you, you, you are focused on the next Olympics too, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. I made the decision after the Commonwealth Games trials um, to swim on to 2020. Um, and I'm really excited about that prospect about going to my third Olympic Games. I'm going to put everything into it. And if I make it, I make it. If I don't, then I know that I'd rather walk away from the sport saying, yep. you know, n- no what ifs, just I did it. Not to uh, remind you of, uh, of, your, of your age, but if you're <laughs> sort of 29 there, you yeah. would probably be the oldest yeah. uh, member of the team. Does yeah, that make definitely. you the mother hen of uh, the Australian swimming team potentially? I don't act like a mother hen. <laughs> <laughs> I am very young for my 27, 29 <laughs> um, age. Yep. Um, but yeah, I definitely do adapt to that situation in a role model um, frame of mind and I want to be putting myself out there to say that regardless of the age, um, I'm still here doing it because Mm. I love the sport and two, because I want to give back to the sport. So I want to be in it as long as I can to witness some incredible things from the team so that in my life post-swimming, I can go and help other people um, not necessarily achieve great things because, you know, I've accepted that I'm never going to be a world champion. That is what I've accepted. But if I can help someone get through some struggles that I've been through, then that's going to be really rewarding for me. Um, And just on that, just, you know, on the mentor role, did you have a mentor when you um, first competed at the Commonwealth Games when you were a teenager back in 2010? That would have been the Delhi Games. Yeah, that was an interesting games. Um, A mentor... And does it feel like that was... Eight years ago? No, not even. It feels like four years ago in the grand scheme of things, Rio feels like six months ago sort of thing. So in the swimming timeline, there's always something um, and nothing ever feels that far away. 2009 was my first team, but I don't feel like it was that long ago. Yeah. Um, So in a mentor way, I kind of adapted and reached out. I never reached out to anyone because I thought I knew everything and my coaches were very – I guess strict on me. So I always had that mentality where I didn't need anyone's help. Mm. And it got to that point in 2012, 2013, 2014, when I was really struggling that I needed to reach out. And Dean Peters was actually uh, that person for me. He, I trained with him a couple of times. He really gave me a run for my money back when I was a teenager. And then when he left the squad or just got out of the squad situation, um, we got in contact maybe four or five years later and he sat down and had a coffee with me and really put into perspective what it means to be an athlete and what it means to be a human as well. So I was really able to differentiate between the two and then start to work on being a better athlete and being a better person as well. Uh, Blee, we need to uh, take a break, but uh, I want to talk to you about uh, that moment in your life when you're 11 years old and a a chronic illness that doctors uh, then diagnosed initially or wanted to treat as, uh, as, as a cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, it wasn't that, thank goodness, but uh, nevertheless, they said that you'd never run or swim again. So I want to ask you about that uh, after the break. Uh, this is WA's Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories, where my special guest is champion swimmer Blair Evans. Blair, let's go back to a time in your life that uh, I'm sure was very uh, pivotal and and, and formative, but probably one you'd you'd rather forget uh, ever (laughs) happened at all. You're 11 years old. 
uh, you've got an illness uh, that doctors initially told you was a potentially fatal form of cancer. Talk us through that. Um, It's not something that I've really ever spoken about in the media or really been – no one really knows about it, but I have a huge scar on my butt, so whenever I wear togs, people are kind of like, what is that? What happened there? Yeah, so 11 years old, I was You realise now that people are going to – I know. Yeah, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, when I was 11 years old, I was super active doing netball. Uh, I was cross-country, athletics, swimming. I was doing it all, dancing. And then I started to get a really sore hip and uh, I couldn't get through the day without having pain in my hip and struggling. I was limping a lot. And so I sent to a physio. I spent a month with a physio trying to work it out and nothing was really improving it. And I thought it was just me being lazy with rehab and that sort of stuff. So I was sent to for a bone scan and had that. That was the longest process of my life. I think it was like an hour laying down in a machine. So as Mm. an 11-year-old girl who was super active, Mm. it was all very daunting. So I went home from that bone scan and the results were going to come in the next day. And we just thought, you know, nothing huge. It was, I was super active. I was super healthy. So it wasn't going to be a big thing. We went back into the doctor's surgery or the doctor's office the next day, my mum, my dad and myself. And um, we all, well, I think I was standing at the time and mum and dad took the two chairs in the office and he took us through. It's pretty hazy. Um, but he took us through the scan and I couldn't really, I couldn't read scans. So I was like, I'm fine. And then he mm. delivers the blow. Uh, it looks like Ewing sarcoma. And I had no idea what it was. And I was kind of like, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. And mum and dad were like, okay, explain to us. And he said, it's a form of aggressive bone cancer. And from that moment on, it was just panic and understandably fear. And I didn't even know what the condition was. And so they said, tomorrow you're going to go into PMH and have a biopsy and we're going to figure out if it is actually Ewing sarcoma. Uh, and so I went in the next day, the whole family huddled around uh, at home and just that researched. That must have been a, a sleepless night for everyone. Do you do you remember a sense of, of, of panic? I'm sure your mum and dad were trying to stay as calm as possible, but they must have just been it's tearing the themselves apart. It's the first time I've seen dad cry. Yeah. He's a very, very tough man. He's a prison officer, so he's always been... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He's always been super tough. And so yeah. that was the first time that I guess anyone of us in the family, I have a brother as well, who saw emotion out of mm. him. And that kind of hit home for me as an 11-year-old um, yeah. that it was probably serious because they did some research on it and it was, you know, almost be all and end all of my life. So we actually spent the night in mum and dad's bedroom. We all dragged all our mattresses in there and all slept together. And then I went in for the biopsy the next day. And when the results came back, it was inconclusive. So, again, we had to wait. Wasn't sure what it was. Uh, so they sent me back in just to get the whole mass taken out. And I think it was either a golf ball or close to a tennis ball size infection that was sitting in my ball and socket joint of my pelvis on my wow. hip. Uh, so they went in, they scraped it all out, took all the mass out just to get it all out first and yep. foremost, and then they'd test it and see what it was. And so that was a huge recovery process for me mm-hmm. and also waiting for the results. And thankfully, when we got the results back, um, as you said before, I don't think it's – I think it's the first time someone celebrated mm. uh, a diagnosis of osteomyelitis, mm. which was a severe infection of the bone and the joint. So that was a relief because it meant I could – Live basically. Yeah. Uh, I feel almost angry on your behalf that the doctor. <laughs> I, I'm still super jaded. <laughs> I, I don't know what the protocols are in the in the medical community there, but to throw that out there, yeah, and and throw you into a sense of panic like that, mm. 
That's that's extraordinary. Yeah, so every, everyone in the family kind of rallied together at that point, and I had so many visitors in the hospital, so I was loving life. I was loving the attention. <laughs> <Center of> attention. <laughs> I was getting whatever I wanted. Why? Yeah, at eleven years old, I didn't really understand what it meant for me going forward. I thought I could get out of the bed and, and yeah. walk and run and swim the next day, but. So, what was the time period between the doctor delivering that that diagnosis that turned out to be mm. false? And you getting the news that it, that it wasn't as bad. Um, Are we talking days or weeks? Weeks. Weeks. Yeah. So it was a week for the first results to come back uh, from the first biopsy. And then I think I had another few days at home before I went in for the second operation. Yep. Uh, and then it was another week on top of so that. So were you, you unable to go to school all this time? I was in hospital for about two weeks after that. Yeah. Mum never left my side yep. and school friends came in, and mm. but I did do some schooling in yep. my hospital bed, much to my disgust. And told uh, at some point then that there was every chance you, you wouldn't run again um, it uh, wasn't, or, or swim. It wasn't actually at that point um, that I was told that by my doctors. It was a few months down the track. Uh, I went home and I spent another few weeks in bed. I wasn't able to go to school. I wasn't able to get up without yep. a wheelchair or crutches. Mum had helped me go to the toilet, which was a bonding experience. <laughs> <laughs> God love her. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting. Yeah. At the time. Uh, I got a TV put in my room, which was super cool. That's so, a win. Again, I was getting all this attention and loving it, <laughs> not actually fully understanding the gravity of yeah. what I was going through. Uh, I went to school one day and when I did go back to school I was allowed to have this squishy chair so one that I'm sitting on this squishy mm. swivel chair because I wasn't able to sit down on that hip for quite a while yeah uh, so uh, I don't know it was kind of cool to have those sorts of special attention things but also stay kind of positive about what I was going through yeah. uh, and then through the rehab because so much muscle and cartilage was taken from the joint, it actually turned into arthritis pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) And at the age of about 16, I was told I had the hip of an 80-year-old and that uh, I probably couldn't – I was never going to run. That's what I was basically flat out told from my doctor, that I would not run again. Yeah. um, And has that that. proved true? Obviously, you can can swim fairly well. (laughs) It doesn't put as much pressure on the joints, obviously, as as running. Can Can you run? I can run, but if you ask me to run more than 100 metres, I'll, I'll struggle and I will wake really? up the next morning with a sore That's hip. That's incredible that, you know, someone obviously of your physical fitness yeah. can do so much in the pool, but you you would struggle to run more than 100 metres with that pain. To be honest, swimmers can't really run at the best of times, <laughs> if you ask any swimmer. Yeah. Uh, we're quite hopeless on land. Uh, but I considered myself a pretty good runner as a yeah. kid and it was hard to not be able to go back to something that I love doing. Uh yeah, the recovery process didn't go as well for me as I hoped and I was a little bit lazy with rehab, so yeah. I really slapped myself on the wrist for that one. But yeah, it was something unavoidable. It turned into arthritis and the doctor told me no running and that I probably wouldn't be able to upkeep or keep up with the training that swimming required to be at mm. an elite level. So yep. this was when I was, I think, maybe 13 or 14 when I was trying to get back into swimming and um, weeks I couldn't go to school or I couldn't get out of bed, that yep. sort of stuff, just due to pain um, in that joint. And it was hard. Uh, I can imagine. I, I went from being this super elite 11, 12-year-old um, kid running, swimming, uh, winning all my races to basically rock bottom. Uh, mm. I went back down to coming last in all my races and I'd get the participation medal and 
she's been through a lot, so give her a cheer. And <laughs> it's not what I was used to. So I yeah. kind of got really down on myself at that point. Was that the first time, though, that you've, you, you know, looking back over your career, obviously you've had to drag yourself back up yeah. after overcoming those challenges. I mean, they don't get much bigger than that. Yeah. Um, in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of sick and twisted sort of way, is that what sort of enabled you to keep going up until – now that you that you're still going and still wanting to compete I think so I think when people I hate when people tell me that I can't do something mm. or that I won't be able to do something I like proving people wrong and mm. I think that's what I've based my entire mm. career on <laughs> thinking back um, one of those people I remember hearing it in, 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 in an interview you said at one point you wanted to you just wanted to beat your brother yes. you have an older brother yes Who's a pretty handy swimmer? Yep. He competed at state level. Yeah, and correct? national. Yeah. And national level. Yeah, yeah. You just wanted to beat him. Yeah, that was my sole reason for getting into swimming. Uh, I saw <laughs> him doing really well. Just sibling rivalry. Yeah, it's as pure. good a reason as any, I, I suppose. Am incredibly competitive in every <laughs> aspect of my life. Yep. And that is based off my brother and I, Jason. Um, Wanting to be better than each other at a and, young and, age. And, and have you beat him? Have you yes, eclipsed yes. him? Yes, So there's, there's one. <laughs> this is a story that I always tell when I go to a school or a swimming club uh, about sibling rivalry. And my myself and my brother trained together for seven years in the same squad. Yep. And so we were daily uh, just going at each other. And it was a really tense time as a brother-sister relationship through those seven years. And there was this – you never see mixed races. And there was this one opportunity that we had, a 1,500-metre short course – freestyle race yep. and it had been talked up for weeks by the squad and I had beaten Jason a few times in training leading up to that and so we get to the day and I'm like chewing down energy gels to get me through this <laughs> 1500 and he's doing the same thing and mum and dad are in the crowd and they're like we, we're not taking sides at all. <laughs> I think this is when I was 16 or 17 maybe, maybe 18. And, and how, how much older was he? He's two years older than me. Yep. Uh, and so he should naturally be bigger and stronger, but he's actually very skinny and um, he metabolizes things very quickly. I'm very jealous. <laughs> uh, so we get into this 1500 race and it's a long race. I'm in lane eight, he's in lane one, opposite ends of the pool and there's all these people in front of us, in the middle of us, sorry. And it gets to the last hundred and I try and have a little look over to where he is and I, I guess he's eyeballing me. And so I go in to touch the wall and... He's behind me and I was like, oh, maybe I've miscounted and I have another 50 metres because 25 mm. is the two for mm-hmm. 50. And he actually turns at the wall and still had another 50 metres to go. So I had gone like a bat out of hell to beat him and I actually overlapped him. Wow. So <laughs> and I bet you love reminding him about that even now. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to listen to this and hate yeah. me, but uh, that was the one – Pivotal moment in my career where, you know, I had beaten him yep. fair and square. Good on you. It was, it was a great kind of story that I love telling people now. Is he a, is he a gracious loser now? No. No? Um, <laughs> no, he's he's a fantastic role model for me and yep. um, he's very highly respected and regarded in yep. the swimming and coaching community. So mm. uh, I'm really proud to have him as a brother and he's really spurred me on to yep. great things. Well. Obviously, he set you on your path to glory. Yeah, We're yeah. going to talk about uh, that in more detail after the break. But uh, on that triumphant note, let's go to a break. <laughs> this is WA's Inspiring Stories with Blair Evans. Back with more in a moment. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. 
brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to WA's uh, Inspiring Stories. Uh, in this episode, we're hearing the inspiring story uh, of swimmer Blair Evans. Blair, uh, you've been to two Olympic Games, uh, Commonwealth Games as well. But, you know, when the Olympics comes around, to, to us sort of spectators, we often hear about uh, what it's like inside the Games Village. Uh, and look, depending on who you listen to, it almost sounds like one of those sort of late night adults only reality dating programs or something like things just getting a little bit wild, a little bit out of control in there. Uh, without naming names, can you confirm or deny that speculation, those rumours, are they true or not? Or is, or, or, you, or is it like a, you know, is it like band camp there? You're all nerds reading yeah. books. No, you've got bed, <laughs> off to bed early. I mean, whenever the Olympics rolls around, they have articles on like the fifty hottest athletes of the village and that sort of stuff. So we actually get involved in that, and we actually look it up. And some of the girls get on Tinder, and it's like a Tinder village. And that was, I think, twenty must have been twenty twelve. I think no, yeah, twenty sixteen, twenty twelve. I think there was a, there was both there. Um, so it, it's a very lively hub of yep. the world's best athletes and the world's best looking athletes. And, so. are, you, and are you mixing with the other countries yeah. much or even before your oh, your no. particular event has oh, happened? Gosh, or? No. 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 Once competition is very strict. So, I mean, you wouldn't be at the Olympics if you weren't there to compete. Yeah. Um, so when business comes to business, it is very strict and you don't even look any other way. So yep. for swimmers, we're in the first week so that we only come in, I Which think, uh, three, or four, <laughs> three or four days before competition starts. You kind of get used to yep. all the walking around the village. Uh, you go into food hall. Food hall is a very, very uh, daunting place. Um, but once competition's over and everyone's achieved their success and they want to celebrate or they've not achieved their success and they just want to drown their sorrows, it becomes a very lively place of the world's best, athlete, best athletes that – just Letting off spend, some steam. Yeah, mm. because we do spend the best part of, I guess, four to eight years of our lives training for this one competition that spreads over, you know, for swimming. It can be as simple as a 22-second race all the way up to 15 minutes for 1,500 crazy people. But those four years of training comes down to a very small margin yep. of success or failure. And that's yep. what the Australian public sees it as if you don't win a gold medal, you're a failure. And mm. that's very hard to take as an athlete. But we also, we sign up for that. We sign up to be the best that we can be. And when we don't deliver, we're very hard on ourselves. Yeah. And the added disappointment from the Australian media and the Australian public is is tenfold on top of mm. that. So it's very hard to be an Olympic athlete. But when it comes to engaging with other athletes, we're not going to shy away from meeting new people. And mm. I've met some of my best friends at the Olympics, who who are the biggest stars, world sporting stars that you've had the, uh, you know the the privilege of meeting at these Olympics game Olympic games that you've been at? Um, I've met them all. Well, I won't say I've met them all, but I've been in the presence of some incredible sports stars. Uh, and have there been any where you've just gone, "Wow, this is a true fan moment." I've tried always not to be like a huge fangirl and make her an idiot of myself <laughs> in front of these people because at the end of the day, they are just human and yep. they're just incredibly good athletes and they're yep. incredibly good at what they do. So we were actually in Manchester for our staging camp before London and the USA Dream Team was staying in the same hotel as us. They were doing a, a scratch match against the, the British team. Uh, while we were on camp and we got tickets to that game and we are in the same hotel as LeBron James, CP3, 
all yeah. these incredible athletes. Wow. And the boys really wanted to get their signatures. They had their basketball jerseys and all sorts. And for some reason, they could not get access to these athletes. The boys or the men didn't want to have anything to do with them. So I got sent in um, <laughs> to a poker game environment uh, where they were in their lunchroom and I just knocked on the door and I was allowed to go in. I got photos with LeBron James. <laughs> he was super, super nice to me and he signed all these jerseys. I had about maybe six or seven in my arms because the boys couldn't get access to it. So in that respect, he was super nice to me, but Result I know then. why, because I was a female. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there, there's those type of moments um, that just leave you in awe about how kind these people are. They're millionaires, billionaires. Oh, they're the making best. millions almost a week. Yeah. And it's there's us swimmers scraping by. I mean, yeah. we do get funding, but mm. we're not nearly yep. um, as respected or mm. placed on a pedestal as what yep. our world's best athletes are. So to be in the presence of someone who's that great yep. is motivating yep. and just kind of cool. Just yeah. kind of cool. Just one of those yeah. once in a lifetime Usain moments. Bolt is yep. so cool. Um, <laughs> he seems pretty cool. You can see his personality. He does. Yeah. There's no airs and graces to him. So yeah. I really enjoy having those experiences with athletes. That mm. if I wasn't in my position of going to the Olympics, I would never get the opportunity to yeah. mix with those yeah. people. Yeah. Um, you mentioned funding there. I want to ask you about uh, your waste funding because that was also a moment in your yeah. career, wasn't it, when you had to uh, do without it? Yeah. Um, but just before we get onto that, and just uh, you know your reflections on um, Olympic. Uh, moments, uh, the media did judge very harshly the um, the performance of the Australian swim team at the, mm. at the 2012 uh, London Games as much for what was described as all sorts of misbehaviour and shenanigans <laughs> going on. Uh, there was the still knock saga involving, yeah. uh, you know, a bunch of the blokes and they got wheeled out and had to do this uh, this big apology in front, of, in front of the media, which I'm sure was a moment they would have uh, rather not have to, uh, to yeah. go through and would probably like to forget. But... Um, did did the Australian public, you know, led by the media, judge uh, that team fairly, or um, did uh, did they get it wrong? What was it like inside the camp at that time? Um, I think everyone has their own opinion on twenty twelve and being a part of that team. At the time, I thought we were great. <laughs> to be honest, I love the Australian swim team. It is you were great in terms of your performance, or you you thought the culture was great, oh. or both. A bit of both because I do have a disheartening story personally from that Games about about the relay and how I got my silver medal. Um, mm. I wasn't selected to swim the final even though I did have the fastest split in the heat swim and the yep. criteria was to be the fastest. So I lost a very incredible moment in my life due to some politics or selection yep. criteria. That happens so, with so every you, sport. Because you were in the, qualifi- in the qualification for the final. Yeah. Didn't swim in the final. Yeah. You still get your medal. Yeah. But – what was that, a, a bit of a hollow moment for you? Um, yeah, it was little, actually. Little, little, yeah, little yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. After 2012, I hit rock bottom. So mm. I think um, it was just hard to take at that time. When yeah. I, it was my first Olympics. My individual didn't go, the 400 IM didn't go to plan of what I wanted it to, but I was given this second chance, which I took with both hands and I literally swam my heart out and was able to pull out a PB for myself and – split the fastest yep. uh, time over the, the four girls. And so I expected a swim in that final. And when I wasn't, when I was told by the head coach that they had gone with 
another girl, which was Alicia Coots, and she was swimming incredibly at that meet. She had won a few medals already. Um, it was both a why and a okay moment. It mm. was something that I had to cop on the chin yep. and go back at night and watch those four girls win that silver medal and yep. do great things for Australia. But also I wanted to be out there and I yep. – Oh, understandable. Yeah, I wouldn't say entitled, but yeah. I wanted to, I wanted that spot, yeah. and that's why I swam that heat. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was yeah. one of those moments. Uh, part of the, uh, the 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 next phase after that was uh, obviously you're back here uh, in Perth preparing for the next big events on yeah. the calendar. Um, you you lose your waste funding at one point. Um, I mean, this is probably shortly after you, 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 you're still glowing from meeting LeBron James and people like that who, who are making like a million bucks every time they walk out in a basketball court. Yeah. Um, th- losing that waste funding, how critical was that to your ongoing commitment to the sport? Looking back, um, now I understand why they did it. Yeah. Um, I was going through the injury phase. So it's actually only in 2000 and f- end of 2015 that they, yeah. they sat, I was sat down and I was told that my team didn't believe in me anymore and that was the moment where they said there's only a 0.5 chance of you making it to the Olympics next year and yep. um, we don't think you can physically get there. And at the time I was like, excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> I have dedicated my life to this sport and I feel like I've given a lot back to the sport and uh, it was very hard to take and right there and then I wanted to quit. Mm. I rang mum and dad in tears and I was like, this has happened. What do I do? Like, where do I go? I can't afford anything anymore. So at that moment, I was super bitter and I yep. was super angry. Yep. And it took me a while to actually realize that they probably did the right thing by them mm. and what they're investing in. And I was chewing up a lot of money on scans, <laughs> operations, <laughs> injections without actually performing. I was on my way back and I don't think people appreciate how long it takes a swimmer to get back to full capacity. And so 2014 was my surgery and 2015 I got told that... um, No more funding? No, no more belief, basically. It wasn't about the funding for me. It was more about the... We don't back They'd you lost anymore. faith in you. Yeah. They didn't rate you as, a, as an Olympic prospect yeah. for 2016. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Dean Peters, where did he come into the equation? Right at that moment. At that moment. Because he, he was obviously a, an Olympic swimmer himself yeah. uh, back in the early 90s. Yep. Um, how pivotal was he? He flipped my life around. He actually, by chance, messaged me about two days later, or I messaged him two days later, and I said, let's go for a coffee. I am rock bottom this has happened. And he sat down with me at a cafe in Subiaco and said, what can I do for you? And I said, I've lost my funding. I've lost my belief in myself. People have lost belief in me. Uh, I just want to quit. And he goes, leave it with me. And he got two private sponsors for me, which have, who wanted to remain anonymous, that basically funded my Olympic campaign. Wow. Uh, they came forward. You know, and, you know who they are now. Yes, obviously. yes. So yeah. I've seen them at functions, and every yeah. time I see these two people, <laughs> I, I'm just so incredibly appreciative. And they, I don't think they actually understand how much their support, and not only their money, but mm. for them to just reach into their pockets and just Can without ask, even knowing. Are them. they still anonymous? Are you able to say who they are? Or would that? Sure. I don't want to yeah, I'm, I'm get you to say anything sure. that uh, that might embarrass them, but uh, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'll, like, I'll, I'll, no, no, no. That's the, I was just wondering because it's an extraordinary thing to do. They know yeah, who they are. They know who they um, are, and, and I sit on. I'm sure, you're, you're this still person's telling them how grateful you are. Yeah, I sit on this person's yeah. table at every function that I go to. Yeah. Okay, um, there's a clue. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> whenever you're at a function, look yeah. out. <laughs> we need to uh, take a break, but I want to ask you about uh, your your coach, another big influence in your life, yes. uh, Bud McAllister, yeah. as well. After the break, and also just try to get inside uh, your head because it's always fascinated me about swimmers. <laughs> why you? get in the pool and just follow that black line up and down the Crazy. pool, up and down the pool over and over and over again. Yeah. It would drive most people to the point of insanity, but uh, you guys are obviously different. Yes. So different please breed. enlighten us after the break. <laughs> this is WA's Inspiring Stories with Blair Evans. Back with more here soon on 882 6PR. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to this episode of Inspiring Stories with swimmer Blair Evans. Blair, uh, we, we just mentioned uh, Dean Peters uh, and what an inspiration he was uh, to you just before that last break. But uh, tell us about Bud McAllister as well, another uh, another person who's had a, an incredible influence on your career. Who was he and, and why was he so pivotal? Um, Bud is... I don't even know how to explain him. He's just incredible. He's I mean, well-known in the swimming community. Yeah, yeah, very well-known. But if you ask anyone else, they're like, oh, Bud McAllister. I'm like, mm. Janet Evans, Jazz Carlin. He has been all over yep. the world coaching. He's won numerous coaching awards in it, every country. He's American. American-based, yep. yep. Um, so he's actually over there at the moment with his family. Yep. Uh, but he was in Canada. He was in Wales. He's yep. coached in America. And now he's based in Perth. And, yep. Uh, my relationship with him started in two thousand and end of two thousand and fourteen. Yep. And I was back for a little bit before that, swimming at another program in Perth, and I just figured it wasn't the right program for me, mm. and I wasn't liking swimming, and I was still struggling with injury. So he was close to home for me, uh, up at Craigie and Arena. Yep. And there was already a squad there, and everyone just kept telling me, "Bud's going to be perfect for you. Why don't mm. you go and try out with Bud?" And I was like. I'm swimming with this other coach and I don't want to leave that before I've given it a chance. And I just got to a point where I was like, eh, oh, well. Mm. So I sat down with Wace and I said, look, this program isn't working. Can you set up a meeting with Bud? And he said, yep. So I went down the next day and I sat down with Bud and I said, okay, I have a bung hip, I have a bung shoulder and I have a bung neck. Mm. I can't do kick um, and I'm very limited in my training at the moment and Bud just basically looked at me and said, that's fine, we can do it. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> what? Uh, and so a week later I was in with Bud and I think yeah. for the first month or two he didn't say more than two words to me. And yet uh, as your relationship with him developed, uh, he also had his own health issues, didn't he? And, yeah. and you ended up dedicating some of your uh, performances to him. Tell us briefly about that. Yeah, so after being with him for two, three, four years almost, um, we found out that he was actually going through his own health struggles and he mm. kept it from us for months purely yeah. because he was so dedicated to yeah. myself and my squad mates and making sure that we were going to be fine heading mm. into Com Games trials. We're and talking about a, a cyst on the brain. Here, a cyst that, on the brain required... and a tumour on the spine. So yeah. there was two Heavy aspects stuff. that he yeah. had to go through and there was two different operations that could have been fatal for mm. him. Uh, and when we found out about it, I think I cried for about 24 hours straight because he was such a strong man yep. and 
I thought I was going to lose him. And yeah. I thought that would be the end of my career. But mm. he pulled through, thank God. And the Com Games is a, a really uh, tough preparation for me from Com Games trials to yep. Com Games. It was, I think, five weeks. Yep. And that's where he had both operations in that, mm. that time frame. And I was uh, talking to his wife, Terry, mm. and she was basically guiding me through my Com Games experience <laughs> because he wasn't able to call Coaching or text. Coaching by proxy. Or, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was interesting, but... After that 400 IM, um, I dedicated that, that to him because yep. he was the reason that I was there saying um, he gave up his own health mm. to focus on making sure that I was in perfect position to medal at Com mm. Games. So well, thank goodness he's uh, in better shape now. Yes. Can I ask you briefly just about that, that, that mental state, that drive that swimmers <laughs> obviously all have because, you know, I don't know what time you had to get up in the morning to – to train, but I'm, I'm guessing it's ridiculously early, jumping in a pool, following a black line up and down, up and down, up and down. It seems like a very solitary, at times lonely sport. Would I be crazy in saying that I absolutely love it? Um, <laughs> well, obviously you do. I'm quite... You, you, you keep doing it. <laughs> I'm quite a loner. Yeah. So I enjoy the time in the pool where I get to go and just be by myself. Not by myself, because I do have squad mates and we do talk about yeah. all sorts, but... Being alone in the pool with my thoughts, if I've had a bad day, I can yep. really sort through those thoughts. And it's like boxing for me, I guess. It's really therapeutic where I can just swim a 50 metres at max and then I can be like, okay, that's fine. Yep. <laughs> I'm over that. And mm. then focus on my swimming. So it's mm. really therapeutic for me. And I just love my sport so much. Yep. And that's why I'm still here. Can I ask uh, just lastly, because we are running out of time here, yeah. um, uh, Australian athletes, I'm sure this has replicated the world over, but uh, we do hear stories. And, and, I, and I think it, swimmers seem to be particularly prone to this, not transitioning well yeah. uh, out of uh, a, a professional career. Yeah. Um, you know, recently, obviously, Grant Hackett comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, have you thought about your own transition out? Uh, and how are you going to handle that? I was hopeless when I was young. I wanted to swim forever and I thought that was a possibility. But now I'm 27 and I realize that I have to kind of grow up and join the real world kind of and, soon. And, and what does the real world hold for you? Um, re- Saturday and Sunday I started a Pilates course. So Pilates is something that I've used over the years in my own rehab purposes and something that I've really developed a passion for. So I'm actually starting to become a Pilates in- instructor or teacher. Yep. Um, so that I can come back and help others like me who haven't got the best uh, bodies <laughs> and that can, can work with me to create something pretty special. And yeah. I think tra- when you talk about transitioning out of the sport and how some people are successful and some people aren't, it's all about the support network mm. behind you. And I have the best friends, the best family and the best team behind me. So I think I'm going to be all right once I get out of it. Can I say, given uh, the the profile that you have when you are in the spotlight mm-hmm. uh, in this day and age when you can build a social media following, yeah. Facebook, Instagram followers, um, using that as a base then to launch yourself into a, a post-sport life, um, is it easier uh, given that you can kind of uh, build that that fan base and have a have an Instagram following, which has, yeah. a, has a commercial value? Does that make it easier to, 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 to transfer into the next stage of your life? Well, yeah, I think it's easy in, in the way that we get to build our own brand now. Mm. We get to literally engage with fans and build a brand that we're really proud of on our social media. We don't rely on anyone else to build that for us anymore. And we do get help, but it's important in a day of social media influencers and people, yes. Insta models, it's really important to stay true to myself and yep. build something that I can 
be proud of going forward and I can work with other people, kids, families, whatever it is, and that I can be really um, – that I've already developed a, yep. a good image for myself and that's really important for me going forward is that I have one that is full of positive mind frame. I have that determination and like I said before, if I can help one other person – get through something that I've been through or get through something in their life that they're struggling with, then that's my swimming career summed up. Like Mm. I've just, I've done what I wanted to in the sport and I've lasted a lot longer than some others Mm. would. Yep. Uh, And that's a testament to myself and my character, but I also wouldn't be in this position without my sport. So I think it's really important to establish that good brand for myself. Yep. Um, if I wanted to work in media or stay with Pilates and help people or, or yep. combine all of them, yeah, uh, I have that platform to you, do that. You've got the ability to yeah. do that. In the meantime, though, yeah. let's focus on uh, Back in Tokyo. The pool. <laughs> yeah. Tokyo 2020. I want to go um, see some surfing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. Really me. appreciate it. Good luck with the training. Thank and you. we look forward to seeing uh, how you go and uh, what Blair Evans gets up to after that. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks again. Uh, that's the inspiring story of uh, Blair Evans here on 882 6BR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one uh, is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.